Tuesday, the 29th of November, the last Tuesday in November, the penultimate day of the month of November, 30 days past September, April, June, Dan, and November. <laughs> this is Market Call, 1 p.m. Yeah. Eastern Time. That's Dan Nathan, a very um, upset guy, Adami, here. Ranger hockey at this sort of quarter not pole, pretty. not going particularly well. We'll talk about that later in the show, I'm sure. Uh, no. But this episode of Market Call brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity and obviously facts that are data partners they use all we use all of their charts all of their graphics it's wonderful dan how are you i'm doing well i you are in a mood these last few days here between your your giants your rangers your yankees about to lose the judge it's not mm -hmm. a pretty time for you guy but but here's the thing okay um it hasn't been a pretty time i, I think this post-holiday malaise that we're seeing in the markets I don't know, man. We got we got Jerome Powell tomorrow mm -hmm. speaking. Um, I would be really surprised if there's something that comes out of his mouth that kind of you know gets the market ripping higher. I just don't think he's going to foreshadow the thing that bulls want to hear that they are going to really I don't know kind of slow down at least the pace of hikes. You brought this up. It's like fine. We all know. We look at the CME Fed funds tracker here. We see that 75 basis point hikes are off the table now. But really, it comes down to quantitative tightening, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this is really the issue. So if you're taking liquidity out, it gets to be a more difficult environment for risk assets. Balance sheet runoff. And to your point about Jerome Powell, the question you have to ask yourself is this. Nothing's broken out there. The credit markets are not broken. Unemployment rate is still at historic lows. I mean, the stock market, listen, it's sold off, but it has not crashed by any sense. Individual stocks have, but that's happened over the last 18 months or so. Uh, the commodity markets have sort of eased up a bit. So why in, in the world would he be anything but hawkish tomorrow? If you think about it, the market and all these different asset classes has given him air cover to do exactly that. So if he could speak hawkishly and continue to sort of jawbone this thing, if I were in that seat, that's exactly what I would do. At this point, to turn dovish, to turn neutral does not make a lot of sense given where all these asset classes are. Yeah, no, I, I think you made that point really well. I mean, it would be a different story if the S&P was down near the lows of the year where we were just, what, five or so, you know six weeks or so um, ago. But it's interesting, you know, because I, I think there's like, I don't know about you, if I'm a bull and I think that there's probably like maybe the recession's not going to be as bad as people expect and maybe the geopolitical issues um, as it relates to the war in Ukraine, maybe that dies down a little bit. Maybe we see some easing of the supply chain stuff. Maybe we see China come out of the zero COVID. Maybe we don't see some sort of provocation with Taiwan. I mean, like the list goes on and on, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe that doesn't happen. You know, if you think that after a really difficult year for global equities, that 2023 could be the year where we get back on our horse, if you will, you don't really want to see the market rip into your end, right? guy? I mean, like, let's just be honest here. That's a bad setup. Yeah, I agree with that. And yeah, 100%. And he is, he's tried his best to speak, to talk down asset classes. And this it's worked around the edges on some clearly. I mean, energy sticks yeah. out like a sore thumb and other some of the base metals and some of the soft commodities as well. I mean, that's a, f a faction of a number, a factor of a number of different things. But obviously, yeah. the Fed job boning has helped, you know, get those prices lower. With that said, you know, there are going to be a lot of questions tomorrow. I will tell you what, if I'm on that panel, if I'm in the audience, the first question I ask is, look, everything seems to be going really well. 
one little problem, though, Chair Powell. I mean, two's tens is now inverted to the tune we haven't seen in 41 years at 80 basis points. What is that signaling? And see if he answers the question, because, you know, that to me is a fly in the ointment. You know, what's really funny. I mean, you, you know, one of the things about Powell is like his new administration, whatever, whenever he came in, was it 17 or 18? They, they talked about really kind of, you know, um, you know, communication was going to be really impart, important about what they do and how they do it. And it's funny, he's not done a great job with these press conferences over the last year or so. We've seen a lot of volatility after them. And so the Q&A, I think, is really um, an interesting point. And I would love to see that. You know, our friend Doug Cast. remember this years ago, he was a big Buffett critic, I think, at the time. And Warren Buffett's like, come on out, Doug. You remember he had him come out and like yeah. moderate a panel to like their annual meeting or something like that. And I thought it was great. I thought Doug was really respectful. I thought it was like a really good conversation. Let's see Guy Adami with Jerome Powell. That would be amazing. I got a you laundry be- list, a laundry list of questions that I've not heard anybody ask because quite frankly, yeah. they all seem to be somewhat sycophants. And for whatever reason, they all at least trying to get a job or curry favor yeah. with a lot of those people. I don't understand it. I mean, when the first hard, difficult question I hear, uh, the next one will be the first one, in my opinion. Yeah. It's just me. But look, right, so this, I mean, this- and I can be respectful as hell, but there, there are questions out there that need to be answered. All right. So regular viewers of Market Call, listeners of On the Tape, and obviously viewers of CNBC's Fast Money for the 38 years that you've been on, I mean, they know that oftentimes you kind of make like wisecracks to an audience of maybe one. And that one Mm -hmm. is often you, right? Like, so you like- Which is enough. Yeah. You kind of crack yourself up, but every once in a while, you know, I'm sitting on that desk and I'll hear you say something and I'll just kind of LOL, you know, a little bit. So a few weeks ago, um, I can't remember what it was. You were like, um, Mel, excuse me. I think you were remote. I was in uh, on set. You're like, um, I have to make some hedging trades. And so you yeah, were obviously no. referring, you were yeah. obviously, yes, yeah, you're cracking up right now because you killed yourself. It was, it was amazing. Right. And it was so like, I see this. I see this email in my email box over the weekend from Fidelity. Um, and, you know, it was kind of interesting. It was like, how to short stocks. Now, you know, Fidelity is not Robin Hood. Okay. Fidelity is, you know, the, like, I think they have like 30 million global accounts. They, they're huge 401ks. You know what I mean? Like, this is not like the, the kind of, you know, the day trading crowd or whatever. So I thought that was really interesting. So, you know, I, I don't tweet that much anymore. You wonder, not, though, you know, you platform. see something like that. And is that going to be, you know, in six months from now, we're going to go back and say, remember that email you got from Fidelity about shorting stocks yeah. Did that mark a bottom in the market? I don't think that's the case, but so often you see things like that happen seemingly out of the blue. I remember when they were thinking about going 24-7 stock trading and that within you know a few yeah. months marked the top of the stock market. So things like yeah. this are pretty interesting. I'll tell you that hedging strategies, though, I feigned being on the phone. I put the phone up to my ear and yes, said, Melissa did. said, Guy, we're actually on live TV. I said, yes, I know, Mel. <laughs> I'm just putting on some hedging strategies, which I think about now and I just laugh it's, out it's, loud. It, it, it was funny. But what I thought was interesting is that email came, you know, like in the day that, you know, we were drawing some lines on the chart for market call. Let's throw up the S&P futures here. And this one is kind of interesting. I mean, the downtrend is what it is. It, mm-hmm. It's pretty evident. And, you know, and then you look at that declining 200 day moving average. We're just kind of stopped out right there over the last couple of days. And we talked about it yesterday in market call, the steepness 
regardless of the um, you know incline from those October 14th lows or so. So the S&P is building up some tension. And we looked at the VIX and we said this on numerous occasions here. You know, like when you look at what's going on here, it's been a good time, okay, to sell stocks, right? When we've gotten to that point of that kind of declining, um, you know, what is it in the mid 30s mm-hmm. or so, but it, it is a, a declining, um, you know, trend channel, if you will. And then the uptrend near 20, though, we just bought, uh, bounced off of that's been um, a good time to do the opposite here. And so I just think it's kind of funny that, you know, to get an email in the email box like that. It is interesting. And just, you know, going back to that S&P chart, this is something we've talked about for quite some time, how you know, we've been in effectively this downtrend since this time last year. And it makes sense given the Fed pivot without question. You've seen bounces along the way that make sense. We see bear market bounces all the time. And we've had meaningful ones along the way this last year. I mean, this last one, I think, Dan, was maybe approaching 15 or so, 1.5% in the S&P yeah. from that October 14th low to the recent high. Again, makes sense. Stop at the 200-day moving average, makes sense. Still have a declining 200-day moving average. Again, makes sense. And you have this little bit of a pennant formation, and it appears as though we're going to break down through the downside. With that said, if we're both wrong and he comes out for whatever reason dovish, yeah. you know the sense is this will trade, the S&P will trade back to the levels we saw in August of this year, I think 4,285, maybe 4,300. Now you go to this VIX chart, and this again is something we've pointed out a number of times that every time the VIX has gotten to sort of 34-ish, that's marked a short-term bottom in the market, and that's been a great opportunity to buy stocks. And counter to that, every time we've gotten sort of 21 or thereabouts, that's been a great opportunity to sell stocks. That's playing out right before our very eyes as well. So all the things we've been talking about for the last eight minutes are things that we have been talking about for the last 12 months. Yeah, so let's just be really clear about this, okay? So December 14th is the Fed's last meeting of this year. We already threw up the CME Fed Watch tool, and it looks like it's going to be 50 basis points after four consecutive 75 basis point hikes, okay? So tomorrow, Fed Chair Powell is speaking. We do have the November jobs report on Friday. Now, we have to go back a couple weeks and recall just how explosive, right, the S&P mm-hmm. reacted or the broad market in general reacted to data, okay, that signified that maybe inflation was coming off, which would give Fed the sort of cover, right, to kind of, de- de- you know, decrease the, the pace in which they're hiking. So, how could we be wrong near term? Just, I want to be really clear here. Um, I have a position, I'm short Qs and I'm short SPY, and it's a short-term sort of thing. I'm also, um, have a position where I'm sure yields, but it's not a massive conviction sort of thing because if Chair Powell tomorrow is a bit more dovish than like anyone's expecting. It's because he's got to look at that November jobs data, which means that the jobs data is basically a little worse. Unemployment's ticking up, and therefore maybe that's why he's going to signal that. And then we're going to get to a quiet period for all the Fed speak, and we're going to have that Fed meeting, and then we're going to have inflation data. We're going to have CPI and PPI and a bunch of that stuff. So that would be the one scenario. It could be, guy, a perfect storm. And if you look at the tension that's building on that technical level. I just want to kind of lay that out there. So if you have conviction that things are going to get better, then you, you basically have, you know, a really good shot of playing for those August um, highs, but you have to be convicted of that. Yeah. Well, and then if it, under those circumstances, the VIX is probably has a 17 and a half, 18 handle, and it breaks that sort of small term uptrend line that we drew and that downtrend line from November gets broken and we trade back to the August highs in the S&P. Yeah, it could absolutely happen. And again, I said this yesterday, I'll say it again. It's somewhat counterintuitive, but 
If you're bullish in the market, which 99% of the people want to be or need to be, you're hoping for a really bad jobs number. Bad meaning unemployment ticks higher, not lower. So we'll see. We have a question from Jim, and this is interesting. I think the TLT, if we can pull it up, is trading 102.60 or thereabouts. But he asked, would you add here? And the short answer is, I think you can. You know, I still think 10-year yields go down to 3.5%. I think that suggests TLT somewhere between, I think, 115 and 118 or thereabouts. Um, That's how I would play it. Dan, I know you have a similar view. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, at the end of the last year at this time, the TLT, okay, uh, topped out um, around 155. It got as low as I think 92. You were saying I'd be a buyer there with both hands, guy. I was buying the GOVT and I was buying it, uh, also getting long calls in that. It's got a nice run here. You look at the the steepness of that downtrend and you're getting to a point where if there is any indication that yields should come in, and then if you do see the two-year start to come in a little bit, it's going to be a bit of a free-for-all in my opinion. So again, I have the position on, I actually rolled a portion of it out to January. I think this is going to be a thing that continues on um, into the new year. Um, Guy, I want to go back to the stock market really quickly here because you know the NASDAQ futures, if you look at this, I just wanted to throw up a five-year chart and you look mm-hmm. and see where we kind of bounced off of a little bit. We know that um, you know the major names in the NASDAQ that make up you know the top five, make up what, close to 40% of the weight. They all guided down for the current quarter. And Apple is a problem right now because Apple is, as you've been saying, for you know a year or actually a couple of years with all of these issues with supply chains and zero COVID and you know Apple's reliance on manufacturing in the region and the supply chains, but also demand. You know, um, There's reports, it seems like every day, how the shortfall in iPhone production is going to be a huge problem for these guys. And so look at the NASDAQ futures. To me, I just don't know how you get out of this year and we don't see some basically you know pre-announcements on the negative side from semis a bunch of them are speaking tomorrow at credit suisse's tech conference and then we also have snowflake and salesforce um, tomorrow night and if those two companies were to signal anything about enterprise weakness i just think the nasdaq gets into that support zone from where we bounced and maybe round trips back to the pre-pandemic highs sometime early next year's thought on the nasdaq future i think that's exactly right i think i mean i don't want to say anything's a foregone conclusion but that if you go back and look at sort of the middle of this chart where the green lines start, those are the pre-pandemic highs. And so past resistance becomes support. And I think that's exactly what's going to wind up happening here. Obviously, Apple is a huge component of it. We might as well throw an Apple chart up real quick because it's been under pressure. And what, you know, again, I find fascinating. We talk about this all the time. There are people, you know, the buy Apple, don't trade it. I, you know, I totally understand that. Uh, when it's making new all-time highs. But this is also a stock over the last five, six, seven years that you've seen 25 to 40% declines off highs. And are we in the midst of one now? Well, you know, maybe here at 141 and a quarter has not traded particularly well. You could say we made a run to those highs, failed. And now it looks like you want to retest that sort of 129 and a half, 130 level. Yeah. And if you go all the way back, that green line is exactly right. I mean, that's where your I think that's where your ultimate support is in Apple. So again, it's not to cast you know what that is, I don't guy? care one way or another, but I mean, Apple looks like it wants to go lower. Yeah. And that, that gap was, is kind of interesting. Um, if you go back to late 2020, it was right about the time of the um, vaccines and, you know, obviously the market had um, a huge rip and I missed a really good opportunity with this chart. I am no Carter Braxton worth. I don't have any letters after my name that signify that I have any special skills as it relates to technical anal- uh, analysis. But if I were to draw a kind of 
you know, a 45 degree angle a little bit, I would have had what sort of chart pattern there. If you look at that, you know, if I had a guess and I've been seeing somewhat, some reason, all these things come up on my timeline, but that would be a hungry alligator. Correct. That would be a hungry alligator. And part of it is that rising 200 day moving average, you know, that you see down there would have been, um, you know, the tongue of that hungry alligator. But again, I do think it's interesting that, you know, Apple is really pressuring the market. We had the five day chart that uh, the guys threw up there quickly. I mean, you know, there's been legs lower in the market and a lot of it has had to do with Apple. So it'll be interesting to see. This goes back to early 2019, guy. Do you remember the second day of the trading mm-hmm. year? Um, I think it was like January. And second or Jan third, um, Apple pre-announced because of China. And again, you know, in 2018, when the Fed was raising rates, one of the reasons that was kind of like just you know lighter fluid on that fire a little bit in the last couple months of the year was a China growth scare. And we have that same situation where rates have gone up much more dramatically right now. We have weaker growth in general in China. There's no indication that it's opening anytime soon. And you know, it's interesting. I'll just mention this, and this is not me, you know, coming out of whatsoever. You know, I follow Jim Cramer um, on the Twitter. Um, He's been really adamant about, you know, just, hey, listen, if you're trading the U.S. market, you know, why do you care what's going on in China? And, you know, I I, I disagree with that respectfully, because, again, a lot of these massive U.S. multinationals are still very dependent on not just manufacturing and supply chains, but also at some point that consumer reopening, right, for the demand. So to me, I think they are attached at the hip. And I wonder if we'll see um, an Apple pre-announcement at some point between now and the end of the year. Well, I mean, what, would it be crazy in this environment to get that? I mean, the the smoke has been around for a while in terms of the potential for that. Just haven't sort of heard from Apple. Although, listen, the guidance they gave last quarter was not particularly good. And look at the Apple chart real quick. Yeah. The last time we took a run at the 200-day moving average, and Dan, you're a big believer in mean reversion, I mean, it was the spring of 2020, I believe. And it actually didn't even get close then. You really got to go back a year before that, where we really took a shot at the 200-day moving average. So at a certain point, you do get mean reversion in a lot of these things. And the fact that we haven't seen it test the 200-day in that period of time, to me, is something to keep in mind. I mean, at some yeah. point, all these things do mean revert. And Apple's not impervious or immune to any of that stuff. Hey, just by the way, I, you know that I don't, I don't think that's the two hundred day. I have the two hundred day. We we just have a little chart file here. Sorry, people. The two hundred day is up there at one hundred fifty four. So it, it's below oh, it. And, and yeah, that's that's my bad. Um, but but again, I mean, I, I it, it, that is a moving average. I, I don't know what it, what which one it is. Um, but uh, I got to get my facts set uh, head on straight here a little bit. But Kai, let, let's broaden this out a little bit because, again, you know, we, we're spending a lot of time talking about China, and that's why I brought up that before. Um, to me, it, it is important. It's been the source of large bouts of volatility. Go back to 2015. Remember in the summer there, um, again in 2018, and right now, I mean, think about what the global economy would be doing if China was not under zero mm-hmm. COVID. We can just look at commodities, like throw up the crude chart here. I mean, I believe that the crude chart, and I think you probably agree with. Me, the reason it just made a new 2022 low is because China's economy is not back online. It should be trading better. Yeah, no question about it. Listen, and again, the call you made in the spring on the back of the commodities was was fantastic. It's interesting, though, that you know the commodities have been under pressure. The stocks have held in there. Jeff Mills spoke to that last night on Fast Money, but here we yeah, are. Yeah. And this is a really important level. I mean, the reversals we've seen over the last couple of days are something to keep in mind. You know, again, they pushed to the downside, seemingly 
seemingly the downside's been rejected. And again, you got to believe that OPEC's going to come out with some supply cuts at a certain mm-hmm. point, given where the price is. So it's hard to, you say it all the time, it's hard to push shorts when you're at these types of levels. I mean, to me, if you've been enjoying this move to the downside, now's the time to be taking money off the table and probably the discipline suggests you cover your short. But there'll be aggressive people out there that think crude has a lot more to go on the downside. I'm not one of those people, though. Yeah, well, you know, back it out a, a couple more years, though, Guy, and, and you look at the crude chart here, and, you know, again, it's gotten back to this kind of level where, um, you know, that was the kind of high, the late 2018 high, which I think is interesting because, again, we just talked about that period. What was going on then? The Fed was raising interest rates. There were Chinese growth scares, and look what crude oil did. I mean, it sold off from what where we are right now, 76, 77, all the way to below 50 bucks. And, and really, once it recovered, you know, 2019, it just kind of went sideways. And then we had this black swan event, which was the pandemic. And so, again, this chart is just so mangled. If you look at the highs up there at 135 and the lows, we know are negative. What is the midpoint between negative 20 mm-hmm. and one, mm-hmm. you know, 40 or whatever? It's kind of where we are. Are right now and maybe that's where it should be yeah that makes listen all makes sense i mean maybe this is the right price for crude oil and now you know outside of or absence any news or any geopolitical event i mean this could protect this could trade sideways for the foreseeable future i mean one thing that's been interesting and i want to talk about the shanghai index maybe alibaba as well i mean these chinese stocks say what you want to your earlier point about jim kramer they've been great trading vehicles and really quickly pull up an alibaba chart because i think we did a great job with that as well we talked about it back in july i think it was the fourth of july saying how this stock had a 30 35 percent run in it and that proved to be correct and we talked about it on october 21st the day the stock traded down to 58 and change on 100 million shares i think it closed that day at 62 and a half 63 and we said This is another one of those situations. I bring it up because we're still in this very well-defined downtrend. Now, we'll see what happens if we break. But again, my point is not being an investor in these names, but being a tactical trader. And in terms of Alibaba, it's given you all kinds of opportunities. All right, so let's talk about this for a second here, Guy. And, and, you know, I'm kind of conflicted on this one. I I think the way you, you, you lay it out as a trading vehicle makes a lot of sense. Take the name out of there and just think about it from a sentiment standpoint. Look at some technical indicators and you'd say, and Carter, just, you know, um, had a note out on worth charting earlier today saying he thinks that, that the K web, which is an ETF Mm -hmm. that tracks, you know, the Chinese internet, um, um, is 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 about to turn here, and if you look at the FXI and the steepness of that decline, you know I think we have a couple um, FXI charts here, and you know large um, you know large internet stocks make up some of the biggest holdings um, of the FXI. They look like they're ready to turn, but I guess the question I have is, you know, you've been trading a lot of macro, um, you know, for years, for decades, right? And you look at what's going on with us. I mean, there's a good chance that we are like in a legit war we're easily in a cold war with china right now no right? question like, like so as an american and and again you know you've made this point i love it when you do this like that for some reason people think it's un-american to short stocks you know what i mean is it un-american to buy chinese stocks now granted you know are we supporting the chinese economy by doing that no not really you know at the end of the day but lots of u.s multinationals are dependent again we just said this before on chinese demand look at a company like tesla you know i mean tesla doesn't have the valuation it does if people don't think there's this massive opportunity for them to sell and make millions of cars in China. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Is it un-American to trade and profit from China? Absolutely not. I actually think it's extraordinarily American and embraces everything to capitalism about the same way shorting stocks is not un-American either. I mean, I think, listen, I think some of the greatest people over the last 20 years in terms of what they've done for the market are people that have tried, like Jim Chanos, that have tried to point out some flaws in individual companies and sometimes broader markets. They're the ones that have the rigor to point those things out. And to me, that's what capitalism is all about as well. So no. And in terms of trading these stocks or what, you know, what type of situation are we in with China? Listen, are we in a uh, military war? Absolutely not. Are we in an economic war? A hundred percent. And I think a lot of what's going on over there is aimed at trying to hurt our economy. And people can argue to you otherwise, that's fine. That's what makes markets. But I steadfastly believe that the Chinese are willing to lose battle after battle, knowing that they can win the long-term war. And we're not sort of wired that way. As, you know, this society is wired for you know, instant gratification, whereas they have timeframes of 25 to 50 years. That's a tough adversary to beat. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I want to throw up the, the Shanghai composite chart. This is going back about 10 years, right? And so the Shanghai is kind of, well, the first one, this is a one-year chart and you see it kind of banging up against um, or, or about to, it had a big update. I think there's this back and forth between, you know, are China, are they going to kind of ease, you know, some of their COVID-19 um, policies? People keep referring to them as draconian. Do you ever mm. use that word draconian? Time it seems like a word. time. It, but it seems like a word. It's just like, are you just trying to sound really smart? You know what I mean? Because like half the audience, they don't know what it means. You know what I mean? Like every once in a while, you know, you kind of Google a word. You kind of, you think you know what it means in some sort of context, but maybe in a different context, you don't. And that one, I just think there's probably simpler words with fewer, you know, kind of uh, syllables. How, that about, you how about like severe, <laughs> yeah, consequential severe. Um, yeah, drastic, yeah. you know what I mean? Aggressive. Drastic, yeah. Which is probably like draconian, the derivation of like, draconian. You know, I start thinking about Dracula, and, and then I start thinking no, about No, you know what I think of? I'm sure some of our viewers will – Some I'll think of like Dracar Noir. That's well, like two probably, Ks in there. Did you stop wearing Dracar probably like in the early aughts at some point? You probably like rocked that right no, to that the was, 80s, that was the 90s. Uh, that's, that's an early 80s thing for sure. That and there was something called gray flannel, I believe. A talk lot of about people have guy, Paco talk, Rabanne talk, back in the day. Yeah, but Dracar Noir, talk about the sort of repellent, like the repellent of getting anything, you know, as a teenager. Like that would be it, that right? It. You know what I mean? Just kind of put that stuff on there, and and everyone, every every female, you know, from like a mile radius, they're just keeping. That's like that scene you. from Anchorman when he wears that, um, yeah. yeah, whatever. We have a quick question before we get out of here. Gene Schneider asks, uh, with the OIH not reaching the three twenty level, and that's something we've talked about. Would you now fade energy stocks? Thank you. So put up an OIH chart, Jacob, and let's take a look. And you see, I mean, it's a pretty well-defined double top. We traded up to 315, 318 in the summer, sold off, held that low. I mean, it's amazing, you know, that little double bottom, traded back up to it. And I've said for a while, the bulls had proved themselves. But when we traded north of 305, 310, I said, now they have to prove themselves again. They yeah. haven't been able to do it. And I think as I'm looking, OIH is probably either side of 298 or so. And I think the, the logical thing to say is double top, it's going to test the moving average. We're going to do a 50% retracement of that recent low we saw and this recent high, which probably puts it around 255. That makes a lot of sense. So if I didn't know yeah. what this was, I play that game all the time. I would say 
you probably have to take profits here and look for a pullback to the 50% retracement gene. Yeah. One thing I just say is if it's actually Steven today working the charts there, guy. Oh, I'm sorry. If, um, Steven, great fine. job, man. Nah, he's doing fine. He's still screwed up that moving average in the Apple. But, um, you know, let's look at a five year of this OAH, which I think is really kind of interesting. Much different because, story. Well, it really is. I mean, guy, this, this, ETF since the lows in early 2020 has not made a new low. Yeah. And, and that from a technical standpoint is I think really important. So that double top, it did make a, a brief new high. And again, I'm not, you know, that I'm bearish. I have a bearish position on in the XLE looking out to the end of this month. I mean, that's still a pretty constructive chart. And if it were to go back and I'm sure Carter would say this and kind of, you know, get, get a little bit support at that 200 or as Carter likes to look at the 150 you might want to reload there. And, and that would be, you know, kind of my point. I don't think the energy stocks for all the reasons that you made from a fund bundle standpoint are about to crash by any means. I think they could easily come in 10, 15%. But again, if you're bullish thesis about how these companies are managed and what the opportunity set going forward is, uh, this could be a good setup on a back and fill to reload and play for a breakout at some point early next year. I agree. I love some of the comments. I mean, it's the craziest thing. Um, CBW still wears Lacoste. I love that. And that is true, by the way. I think he actually is the founder of Lacoste. And then somebody said, um, if you don't, I'm, I lost it now, but they said something about the bingo card. If you didn't have Guy LaRoche on your bingo card, you're playing wrong. I mean, it's so good. The comments, comment section really sort of makes my day. Um, yeah. And it's a Guy, members only chat. You probably had that. We, we were members only. Yeah, yeah, you did. You, you know, Guy, just so you know, <clears throat> Guy showed up on the set of Fast Money. It was a cold, wintry day. It was a wintry mix, as the weatherman likes to say. And you showed up and you were wearing an old school CB Sports jacket that must yeah. have easily been from the 80s. <clears throat> and I think I, I have that still. You. Yeah, well, you, yes, this was just like, you know, a few years ago, it was pre-pandemic. And there was a story somewhere on the mainstream media. So I don't know if you can trust it, people, but it was talking about how CB Sports is about to come back here. And I thought that was amazing. Like it never went out with you, but it's about to come back for the rest of it. Of course it is. If you wait long enough, everything comes back. And I do wear that when I do go skiing, uh, I wear that jacket. And you know what? It's like, I don't really, people say, oh my God, it's so old. I don't, cause I don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. I still have things from high school which should come as no surprise to anybody watching this um melissa makes fun of me all the time as do you but that's what i think makes me unique dan nathan yeah i i think what also makes you unique in like 1986 when you used to be on the ski slopes and you were wearing like that onesie you know like you yeah, were like yeah. that guy who yeah, wore the onesie yeah. all right i think that's enough of us here um we should probably get out of here and and thank our fine we sponsor cme group CME group where risk meets opportunity. I it? love that saying. Isn't that great? Those Laird Hamilton commercials are badass when he's sort yeah, of he really scoping like out the wave. And yeah. then the, when the women's golfers are like looking at their looking at the tee box and looking where they have to hit their drive and then the putting green. I mean, they have All some great it. commercials. They should sort of maybe they can implement us in a couple of those commercials. We'll reach out to Terry Duffy and ask him. Let's do it. All right. Take us out, big man. That was fun. That's it. it. That's it for Market Call. Again, this penultimate day of November. We'll see you tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern. Again, thank you, CME Group, where risk, in fact, does meet opportunity. Thank you, FactSet, for our data and our charts. And if you dig what you're seeing, you know, leave a review in your favorite podcast store. I don't even know what that means, but I just like saying it, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, smash the subscribe button there, guy, Dami. All right. I'll see you tomorrow, buddy. All right. See you, buddy. Bye.